Hello, welcome to Topical Brainstorm. My name's Christian. I'm here with Garrett. How you doing? Good. How are you? Pretty good. And as I said, this is Topical Brainstorm. We are live. We're recording another episode. Garrett finally did his reading. So uh, I did. It was me this time holding us up. That is true. <laughs> Garrett. And we're going through Creativity Inc. Um, part two today, but it's been about a month since we've recorded again. So, uh, you got any updates in your life you want to share, Garrett? I uh, just finished my classes for the summer. Did pretty well. That's really the only thing I have at this point. Do you have All anything? Right. You got any updates on your hobbies? On oh, not your hobbies, your goals, your your habits. That's the word I'm looking so, for. So. <laughs> I've actually recently started tracking my calorie intake every day. Oh, yeah. Which has been eye opening. <laughs> uh, I downloaded this app and it says I can eat 2,200 calories every day and lose 10 pounds by uh, December 31st. Okay. Which tells you how many calories I've been eating. <laughs> like, apparently it's a lot more than I thought. But it has uh, stopped my snacking. I don't yeah. snack nearly as much, which is both good and bad. I feel like I'm hungry a lot, but then I'm like, I don't really need to eat. So, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I feel like I rarely ever get to the point where I actually feel hunger, which is probably not a good thing. I just eat way too much as well. I, I should probably track my calories just for like a week just to just to get a picture. I've never done it before. It's kind of eye-opening. The app is pretty cool too because anything with a barcode, you just scan and it oh. pops up with the calorie count for you. What's this app called? It's called My Net Diary. My Net Diary? Yeah. Okay. It's like green and has a little apple on it. Ooh. Okay. It's right there. It's blurry, but I think I, I think I found it. I'll yeah. that a anyway, uh, any other habits going well for you? Uh I've been going to bed at decent times, which has been really nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, exercise, not great, but, you know, what can you do? <laughs> yeah. What about you? <laughs> I was just going to say about the sleeping thing. We spent a week up in the Uintas with uh, Kylie's family, and at the end of the week, I got my, my weekly report from my Fitbit, and it was like, you slept an extra hour every night last week. It's like, keep it oh, up. Wow. Like, I can't. <laughs> Again, it was nice, but. That is nice. How many hours do you get? Um, my average is, I mean, it includes, it tracks how much time you're awake in the night. So mm. you wake up and it's like, you only slept five hours, but you do the math and it, like like last night, I got to bed pretty late because we went to a concert yesterday. But it says I got five and a half hours of sleep, 
but I was, I was like in bed for six and a half hours, but my average is almost seven hours. That's not bad. Even taking out the awake time, it's like 640. I'd say it's probably my average. So not terrible, no, but, um, yeah, I, I have been reading my scriptures every day. My streak is still alive. Which nice. I'm really proud of. I need to read today. I didn't get it done this morning, but I am at 107 days straight. It's impressive. So that's a that's a win for me, <laughs> for sure. I have been um, I've been reading. One of my goals is to read every day. I've been doing that pretty well. Uh, usually, it's not reading what I want to read, but. A lot of the time, it's been school stuff, but uh, yeah, I still count it because I'm stimulating my brain. <laughs> yeah, so reading is good for you. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, cool. Uh, I don't really have anything else to report on. I feel like I've been exercising pretty well. Nice. Um, I need to eat better, so I should. I'm going to try out that calorie app you got, but. Uh, yeah, but life's, life's pretty good. Uh, just trying to survive the heat. It's so so hot. That's about it. Well, in that case, we better try to decipher the ideas of Ed Catmull from this book. All right. We're in part two, which had five chapters. So we got a lot of ground to cover. Hopefully we'll touch on some of the important things. I think you had a lot of good stuff in here, though. Um, nothing super groundbreaking, but just a lot of good ideas, and he I think he puts them really well, explains them really well. The first chapter is, on, is titled Honesty and Candor, and a lot of that chapter surrounds the idea of the brain trust, which I, I had heard of before. I feel like it's somewhat famous, Pixar's brain trust. But uh, what did you take away from this chapter? What did you like? I liked how he mentioned that everyone wants to be honest. Deep down, everyone has this desire to be honest. And when someone questions you or questions your honesty or your integrity... I'm sorry. Usually there's a wall that goes up. And instead of throwing around the word honesty, he um, he suggests using the word candor instead or, or being candid, uh, which is the huge idea of what this brain trust is all about. It's about being open and candid or honest with each other about what works and what doesn't in whatever project you're working towards. And I think if you can surround yourself with a group of people that are often candid with you and have your best interest at heart and you know that, it it would it's definitely beneficial in my opinion. I don't know what do you think? Definitely. I think I wish I could have a personal brain trust just to walk me through social situations. The two shoulder angels, the devil and the... 
Angel. <laughs> um, so, and, and to summarize, for those of you who have not heard of the Brain Trust before, it's basically a group of people at Pixar, and they tried to not do too much with hierarchy, so it's not necessarily the top guys at Pixar or just the super important people and super important roles, but a group of people that changes depending on the situation, but they get together and the producer of the movie will play clips or pass ideas by this group and try to get their feedback. And if there is trust and um, just an environment where the producer can take the feedback and use it if he wants to, but doesn't have to, um, they, they just tried to set this scenario up to really produce moments of, of honesty and candor. And he also goes into the enemies to it. As Garrett said, I think no one wakes up in the morning and decides they want to be dishonest today, but, but there are obstacles to that, such as worrying about looking stupid or worrying about offending somebody, worrying about crossing boundaries with your superiors at work, whatever it is. Um, and I think a big one for me is worrying about looking like an idiot because, <laughs> uh, cause yeah, it's definitely happened before and, uh, happens to everybody, I think, but anyway, trying to set up that environment where people can just be honest with each other. And in the creative movie-making process, it's obviously been beneficial for Pixar, um, considering the, the hits that they've produced. But yeah, I think it's very beneficial. As I said, I wish I had my own personal brain trust, and I think I do. You know, there are different trusted people I have that I take different problems to, you know, my parents or family members, Kylie, obviously, in a lot of situations. That's but good. Yeah. Ability to bounce ideas off people, get their feedback, their honest feedback is just very important. Yeah, it's super important, and I don't really have much to add. I thought it was a really well-written chapter, and a lot of it is about Pixar, and it goes into different stories about people being honest and candid with each other within these brain trust meetings, which, you know, I really enjoyed. You learn a lot about Pixar, which is really good. I yeah. recommend this book to people because you learn a lot about Pixar. <laughs> yeah. like uh, the next chapter is called fear and failure. And that's this whole idea that you shouldn't fear failure because, uh, fear of failure is no way to to motivate yourself into doing something. You should expect failure along the way and be okay with that, especially if you're doing something that involves the creative process because that's how you learn. Yeah, he talks about how the goal should be to uncouple fear from failure, but how almost all of us as children learn pretty quickly to fear failure. Because somewhere along the line, whether it's a parent or teacher, we get punished for failure, right? So that is something that's very prevalent. And he 
talks about how important it is to learn how to fail and make that a positive thing in your life and in, in movie making. And he talks a lot about how many different ideas they took to some extent, realized it was bad and had to restart or backtrack. But how if they had those misfires early enough, they could become learning experience, learning experiences as opposed to a failure at a movie that bankrupt their company, especially early on when they were small. But um, he also brings up how you really should be failing frequently at things you're doing in your life. Because if you're not ever failing, then you're not growing, you're not learning. And one quote, he says, if you aren't experiencing failure, then you are making a far worse mistake. You're being driven by the desire to avoid it which I liked. And I think I've definitely fallen into that group of people who's been afraid to fail at something, whether it be a, a difficult accomplishment or, or um, a relationship or whatever, how fear drove my behavior. Um, because I was afraid to fail. And uh, I don't want to be afraid of that anymore. So, Yeah. Well... It's really hard because I know certain people who do a lot of things <clears throat> that don't really fail at what they're doing. And that doesn't mean that they're not trying new things, which I feel, in my opinion, is the whole point. If you're trying new things and you're pushing yourself, uh, I think it's more about the willingness to or having the idea that it's possible that you could fail. If it's possible that you can fail, then you're doing something worth doing. If it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily fail though. Um, I don't fail at a lot of things that I've done many, many times because I've done them so often that it's just like second nature. And that's not a place that I want to be in, you know. Uh, I want to read this quote to you and see, I, I just want to get your thoughts on it. It says, when experimentation is seen as necessary and productive, not as frustrating, not as a frustrating waste of time, people enjoy their work and even uh, will enjoy their work even when it is when it is confounding them. What are your thoughts on that? I think I agree. I think in the real world that's very hard to actually implement because there are deadlines and deliverables and and again you and I, neither one of us are really in a super creative field of work, right? But to some extent, I think anybody can apply that in their lives. Yeah. There are always methods that can be improved and experimentation is how you go about doing that, right? Yeah. Um, but outside of work, even even in normal life, you know, if you're trying to just fix something in your life. 
you're trying to be a better friend or a better family member, whatever it is, you got to experiment with ways to improve. And if you, again, aren't afraid of failure, you're going to be able to do that and find ways that work for you and find things that make your life better. So I think that's pretty important. Okay, one more quote. Um, So if your primary goal is to have a fully worked out set in stone plan, you're only upping your chances of being unoriginal. Huh. Uh, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I think so too. I mean, especially in a creative environment. The other day, my wife and I did a Bob Ross night. I guess it was probably a, a month or two ago. And I was so bad at it. Um, but I had this. Obviously, if anyone's ever done a Bob Ross. Um, a Bob Ross painting night, they know that they just follow Bob and your plan is right there. Just follow Bob. And I feel like it was. I, I don't know how he does it. But if you have a plan, it's definitely not original because, you know, you're just following somebody else. But I don't know. Sometimes you got to follow somebody else until you know what you're doing. Yeah, I think balance and all things, you know. Yeah. There are times I just I suck at painting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad at it. I, I probably do, too. I don't think I've painted it. Uh, it's, it's fun, but it's, um, and yeah, that kind of touches on the one last idea from this chapter I liked, which he compares those who put in a slow, deliberate planning process and those who just pick something and run with it, find out if it works or not, and then pick something else and runs with that and how a lot of people, put way too much time into planning and they get attached to that idea and then they go down the road and it turns out there was an error in their plan and it can be devastating at that point because they've already invested a bunch of time and energy into it. Meanwhile, if you just get an idea and go with it, a lot of times that can be beneficial because if you fail, you fail fast and you can restart again. Which I think is something I need to implement more in my life in in certain areas. Because I tend to be slow and deliberate and a planner about a lot of things. And there are consequences to that. Missed opportunities. I get attached to my ideas and don't want to change my mind even though I'm wrong. Um, I think it's just a good thing to remember and something I want to implement in certain ways in my life. Yeah, I kind of thought of that concept in the context of money, as I often do. (laughs) But if I'm going to fail and lose a bunch of money, I'd rather do it quickly and while I'm still young, rather than, you know, when I'm 65 and need it. Yeah. (laughs) So. Yeah. uh, That's just what I thought of. Yeah, for sure. All right, going to chapter seven. It's titled The Hungry Beast and the Ugly Baby. And that was an interesting title. The Hungry Beast is essentially 
the assembly line that just speed is the most important thing. You got to feed the beast. <clears throat> and the idea of the ugly baby is he uses the idea of when whoever was writing or producing a movie had their original little idea for the movie, how that is an ugly baby. And you may not be able to tell how much it's worth yet, but if you nurture it, it can grow into something of very high quality. And how the main idea of this chapter to me was how you had to find a balance between both of those things to be successful. Um, which is kind of another way of putting, you know, quantity versus quality. Um, but what did you think about this chapter? Yeah, well, this section of the book or part two of the book is called Protecting the New. And that's what this chapter really is about. You have this hungry beast that's set up by success early on. And after that success, you create systems to replicate that success. And that becomes how you do things. Whereas the ugly baby is anything new that can be introduced to the system. A lot of times in a lot of, it doesn't matter if it's a creative setting or, or what a lot of the time, these new ideas get shot down, even if it might be better just because it's different and you have to protect that ugly baby and let it grow into a beautiful gazelle. I, guess you know? so. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, but if you don't offer some sort of protection to new for new ideas, oftentimes they don't materialize. Um, I liked how he started with the these ideas being, for movies being the ugly babies because they're so... Uh, there's like super crude versions of of what they turn out to be and they're not refined at all and a lot of the ideas are just bad and then they slowly polish them and and they become better and better and they get rid of things and they add things but they protect it even though at the start it sucks and even in a corporate world, in a corporate setting, that's what you have to do with new ideas sometimes. You have to figure out if they have any merit, and you have to protect them while you figure that out. And then you got to figure out how to apply them. And that honestly leads into the next chapter. But do you have anything left to say about this chapter? Uh, there was one quote I really liked. He talked about, well, it just said, hold lightly to goals and firmly to intentions, which kind of ties into the idea of you may have a goal, but a new idea may come along that disrupts that goal, but still feeds and works towards your ultimate goal or your ultimate intention. And it also felt like a tie back to Atomic Habits. And I like the way it was put where if you get too focused on a goal, you may not change as a person. You may achieve the goal, but then you may stop improving in that area. But if you have those intentions, if you hold firmly to the right intentions, you're going to keep progressing. Uh, yeah. So I like that. that was That's awesome. super well put. 
I I feel like I have a, <laughs> what I would call major goals in my life, and then I have these little things that I want to do that all feed into that overarching like person that I want to be. And oftentimes my minor goals or what I guess I uh, subconsciously perceive as minor changes, you know, like, I'm like, ah, maybe I don't want to do that, but yeah, yeah. super well put. Um, as far as protecting the new though, this last chapter is called, um, let me flip to it. Sorry. I think we got two chapters left. So. Oh, we do. Although I don't have many notes on them, so we can okay. we can smash them together if you want. <laughs> yeah, well, I totally forgot about this change in randomness chapter. Um, so the change in randomness chapter goes along with what you just said actually really well because it's about being able to have random things happen and be able to change on the spot. When new information comes to you that allows you to think differently than previously or allows you to think, oh, maybe I was wrong about that, you you should be able to change your mind. Uh, apparently Steve Jobs was famous for that, um, getting new information and just suddenly making a new decision that contradicted a prior decision. Yeah, and that's I think that's a pretty cool ability because Steve Jobs obviously had a reputation for being prideful, right? But that doesn't sound prideful at all to me. It's like the ability yeah. to be like, oh, I was wrong. Let's do this instead instantly. That's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, he talks about how change is good and necessary, even though a lot of times we tend to fight it. And again, there's no growth or success without change. And that honestly reminded me a lot of just politics in our country. Um, like conservatives want to preserve everything the way it is because overall it works, right? We got a, we got a pretty good country here, um, all things considered. But, and on the other side, a lot of people want to tear everything down and build it up better, which... Whether you believe that's possible or not, obviously a balance of those two things. I've said obviously way too many times, dang it, tonight. It's only 27 minutes in. I've probably said it 30 times. Um, a balance between those two things is most likely going to be the best solution, right? Because there are certain things that can and, and should be changed and could be improved and certain things that... I really don't think need to be changed or torn down unless there's a really good alternative solution. And I don't think there are for a lot of the systems we have in our country. I um, agree with that full heartedly. <laughs> and then he also talks about how one, one quote I liked, he said, a person who can't change their mind is dangerous, which uh, I think is true. If you look again at, extremists on either side of our political world 
they're just dangerous people because they're so set in their ways and so not willing to listen to new ideas and change. There's a fly on your shirt. And, uh, got it. So yeah, I thought it was a good chapter. Again, a good reminder that a lot of things are random. You can't control them, but that ability to change is very valuable. I feel like that's why a lot of corporations end up failing, yeah. which she talks about. I can't remember if it's in this chapter or throughout the book, but a lot of corporations leaders just have this idea that won't, they, for whatever reason, won't change. And then they end up, you know, going into bankruptcy or crashing and burning because they just can't adapt. Uh, you need to be able to adapt when new information comes. And I'm super poor at that. I wouldn't say that's something that I excel in or at. But yeah. what can you do? I also tend to fall on the side of being cautious and not liking change. Yeah. Uh, my my uh, my wife apparently hates it when I say, what can you do? <laughs> She's like, there's always something you can do when you say that. You know that, right? And I was like, yeah, that's why I say it, because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but what can you do, man? What can you do? Yeah. <clears throat> um. There was a concept in in this chapter, the the math concept of linear linear linearity linearity. I can't even say it. I would say linearity, but that's wrong apparently, according to this book. Um, which I really liked when I read it. I can't really remember. Why, though? I, I don't remember that part. Okay, well, let's... And I did my reading way before you did. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have a few weeks off, so we should record next week. Uh, yeah, we can try to. Skeptical. Um, this last chapter is called The Hidden. Christian, what did you think about The Hidden? I don't have a ton of notes on it, but... What I remember is he kind of talks about how no one person can really perceive everything. And there's a lot of value in having different people, different opinions um, around you to help you see what needs to be seen in order to run a company. Um, and I remember he did talk about um, the phrase hindsight is twenty twenty, which was interesting to me. That's about all I remember. Yeah. Just to clarify, he, his, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty comment that I really enjoyed was that hindsight really isn't twenty twenty because you can look back and still not know the full story. And often we don't. So sometimes, well, most of the time we know what happened. We just don't usually get the why or the how completely right, uh, which is 
a really interesting thought because when you're the manager of a company or when you're man- managing anybody or anything or even your yourself or your family, I feel like your family would be a, a really good example of this. You don't, if you have kids, you don't often know everything that's going on in their lives. Uh, but you know the overarching scheme or I don't know. I don't, I don't want to call it a scheme if it's about someone's life, but what would you call that? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. The like overall- like in, in a company, if you're the CEO, right. you get the overarching gist of the whole company. You know what this, yeah, you know what this department's doing. You know what this department's doing, this department. You don't know the individual nitty gritty of each department though you're not in the trenches every day with with these co-workers that you have um, and they often will know more than you about the problems in a given department so when they have suggestions on how to improve the department oftentimes you need to listen to them and give their suggestions valid thought and weight because that's what they deserve because they know more about it than you oftentimes. Uh, and there may be a reason that they don't know about why you can't Im- couldn't implement their suggestion, and in that case, you need to let them know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I really liked that idea that – there was like three levels of hidden that he talked about. Uh, the first one is this idea that if you're a manager, oftentimes when you're promoted, you don't realize it, but people act differently around you. You only see the best of people because they're not going to show you their worst because you're their manager and they want you to think that they're doing really well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and people will talk differently around you. They'll, They're just different because you're the boss. And then the next level was hierarchy. Uh, You can have a really unhealthy hierarchical structure where things just don't get passed up the chain the way they should. Um, That's not to say that all hierarchies are bad, uh, but, you know, they need to be run well. And then there was this third level, which is escaping me. But I I don't know. I just thought this was a really interesting idea that you as one person can't know everything about everything. And once you realize that, it makes you a lot smarter because you're willing to rely on people that know more than you. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't remember much of that at all, but... I agree that you should assume that whoever you're talking to knows something you don't, right? I can definitely see how that would become an issue when you're the top dog in your hierarchy and you think you know more than people. So, um, yeah. The one thing that I did remember, the hindsight is twenty twenty, and how that was a dumb phrase was was funny to me. I remember this interview with Hugh Jackson, who was like a football coach for the Cleveland Browns when they were terrible. Gosh, um, they're so bad. A few years back. And in an interview, someone was like, 
why didn't you run this play? You could have won the game. And he was like, well, you know, hindsight's 50-50, <clears throat> which <laughs> he just said the quote wrong at the time. <laughs> yeah. Which was funny. But but then you think about it, and, and it's, it's kind of true, you know? It's like it's easy to look back on memories and think, oh, I should have done this because then everything would have worked out, or I wish I would have done that because then whatever. <clears throat> But there are still no guarantees, and you don't have your memories aren't perfect. You know, you try to remember like all the memories I have with you when we were roommates. I'm sure a lot of us we probably don't remember a lot of things the same way. Um, yeah, and and it's it's also just a dangerous game to to try to think back on things in your past and wish you'd done things differently. And assume that things would have turned out differently if you had. Um, because hindsight is 50-50. You don't really know, <laughs> even if you think you know. It's true. Yeah. It's all... There was one one chapter in this section that we read. I can't remember which chapter it was. But it was talking about how people perceive things. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, okay. Um, just to fill the time, one other thing that I thought was, was cool. He talked about Monsters, Inc. And the original idea for that movie. And in talking of ugly babies, I'm sure some of the original ideas for the movies we now love were pretty bad. But I would honestly like to see this movie made as well. He talked about how the original idea for Monsters, Inc. was a guy who had like a childhood journal and he drew monsters in it. And then his mom like found it in his closet, gave it to him. I'm sure I'm butchering this a little bit, but and then he takes the journal home. He wakes up in the middle of the night and suddenly there are monsters everywhere. And at first he's freaked out, but then he realizes they're friendly and they're the monsters that he drew as a child. And then as he goes about his life, and they help him kind of face his fears and overcome things, then the monsters start to disappear until he gets rid of all of them, and then he's just like a better and healed person. That is a great idea for a movie. <laughs> and I like Monsters, Inc. the way they made it as well, but honestly, I'm, I, that, I think that's such a good idea for a movie. Yeah, maybe they should make it. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, you think. can't make it now. You You'd get sued for plagiarism, <laughs> but, you know. They still could. Yeah. Got to come up with a new name. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, did you find your uh, the quote you're looking for? I did not, so but. maybe next time. All right. But I think that's all that I had to discuss. Anything else from your side? Uh, no. Nope. That, well, actually, there is one more thing that he talked about that I actually really enjoyed. And he's he was talking about how one thing that we don't know about that's hidden from us is all, all the things that had to happen for something to take place. And he gives the example of him being, almost being in a car wreck when he was uh 
12 years old, I think he was, on his way home from Yellowstone when a car came around a bend and almost pushed him and his family over a cliff when they hit him. And he said that there was two inches. The car was two inches away from hitting them in the spot that would have sent them over the edge. Therefore, Pixar was two inches away from never being or from never existing. And then he went on to talk about how there are probably many instances of, of two inches, if you will, from many people that were important in the founding and, and the keeping going of Pixar. I thought that was a really good thought. You know, there's everything is just, two inches away from not happening. You know, if yeah, something. My... Sorry, I interrupted. No, go ahead. I was just going to say my favorite one of those in my life is thanks to you. Uh, after our first year at Utah state, we were looking for apartments and we were going to, we were about to like book a spot at whatever it's called. The one above Tandoori oven on that corner. I don't remember the name of it, but oh, and then like Pineview West. Pineview. We we're about to book a Pineview, and you like Googled real quick and found Alpine, not Alpine, uh, Bridgerland for like twenty dollars cheaper. And you were like, "Hey, this is cheaper. Let's go here." I was like, okay, and we did. <laughs> and because of that, I met Kylie. I'm married to Kylie, and uh, you're welcome. <laughs> I mean, that was one of those moments, like, honestly, like how different could our lives be if, if we had gone to Pineview that year, like who, who knows? Nobody knows. But that, that had so many different little round, like Josh met his wife, Megan, because we were at, uh, I met Kylie, like, I probably would have been fine. (laughs) Who knows? You know? That's true. Well, actually, no, because Austin Goff, who I roomed with at my next place, was uh, we only decided to room together because we were I mean, we were friends from high school, but Uh he's the one that went out and got the new place and he lived at Bridgerland as well. And that's when we talked about it. That's so I probably wouldn't have moved into the pool house, probably never would have met Michaela. Yeah, just like wow. you being a, a cheapskate and wanting to get a little bit of a better deal. I don't think every- it was twenty bucks. Okay, it had to have been like a hundred at least. Come on, I'm not, I'm not mad about it. Well, it was probably. You like seem like you're or, making fun of me. No, it was probably like twenty a month. That I don't know, or even yeah, less. probably. It's just crazy that you doing that completely changed the course of all of our lives. You know. That's true. Talk about randomness. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that is pretty random. Huh. Well, good for us. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to to us ramble. Yeah, thanks for coming back yet again for our monthly episode. Hopefully Garrett does his reading this time and we uh I will. I will. This time I'm not gonna do my reading, just watch. I'll have to eat my words. All right, thanks everybody. Hope to uh, hope you enjoyed this, and uh, hope you come back for our next episode.